0: They are ancient words. The average Christian prays them every week in worship, and perhaps you pray them on your own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
1: The words roll out with rhythm, like they have been written on our hearts from the beginning of time.
0: They are spoken in every language, sung to many tunes. This Lent, at Second Presbyterian Church, we're taking our time with the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down week by week in a sermon series called Pray Then in This Way.
1: May this experience help you more fully embrace the prayer we already love.
0: Let's pray. Holy God, even when we are far apart from one another, you are with us. You are with us in spirit, and you are with us through your word as we hear these words from Holy Scripture, and as the truth of your resurrection power is preached in sermon, may each person, wherever they are, hear a sustaining word of life and truth, and may we all grow in awareness of your presence with us this day. Amen.
1: Hear now our passage from chapter 6 of Mark, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over... So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you pray, pray then like this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The prayer Jesus taught that you heard so beautifully sung just a few moments ago did not have that last line, not when Jesus taught it. The line was added by the early church. Think of it as the church's amen to the prayer that Jesus taught us. And that is why when we plan this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, we save this closing line for Easter. After Jesus is gone, indeed after the tomb is discovered empty, the church picks up where Jesus left off and begins by shouting, He is risen! He is risen indeed! Hallelujah! Amen! That was a bit awkward. When I shouted, He is risen, I heard echoes. For this Easter, I am proclaiming the good news of an empty tomb in an empty sanctuary. I don't want to pretend otherwise. Sometimes camera angles are used at events or political realities or in filming movies to make it look like there are more people than are really there. We're not doing that. We're not pretending that this Easter is like other Easter's. When both services are packed and we have to open up these passageway windows so the overflow crowd can hear... I know that many of you wish it were like the other Easter's. I sure do. I mean, I would love for it to be. We yearn to be all here together, right here. We want to decorate that Easter cross, or at least see it after it's decorated in person. We want to enjoy the bright and colorful outfits that some wear, which celebrate not only Easter, but the coming of spring, we want to sing the Easter hymns, Jesus Christ is risen today at the top of our lungs and get away with it because we're surrounded by a whole crowd of people who are singing at the top of their lungs. We want to hear a sermon about hope and about eternal life together. But we can't pack the pews this Easter. We can't because of good theology, by the way. I'm a little distressed by those churches and preachers who want to pack the pews on this particular Easter. Good Christian theology doesn't deny truths about nature or about the reality of death. I mean, we place an instrument of death, the cross, at the front of our sanctuary every Sunday, for goodness sake, for truth's sake. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, is said in relation to many of our burials and cremations, giving voice to the biological reality of God's created order. I mean, Christians, over the centuries, we've built so many hospitals. We at Second Presbyterian Church are trying to help build a hospital in the Dominican Republic. We go on these mission trips because we recognize the reality of disease and and death, and we want to do something to prolong life and to enhance life as a witness to the life that we have in Christ. And I'll also say that the few of us worship leaders who are here in this empty sanctuary, we know that we are not alone. We've heard from so many of you that have joined us online for worship. Indeed, last Sunday's Palm Sunday service had over a thousand views on YouTube. Yes, I checked. That's my new way of checking worship attendance in this online age. We don't feel alone. You are holding us up. You are joining us in ministry. You are praying for us. We are praying for you. You are reaching out to others on behalf of the church, and we know it. But still, I don't want to miss this opportunity. There's symbolism here. We did not intend to engage in performance art or to offer our own version of a passion play, but in a way... That's what we've been compelled to do. We have moved from crowds gathered on Sunday mornings to within a couple of months having an Easter service and an empty sanctuary. When Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, the sides of the street were packed with people and they were waving palms. And in no time at all, fear spread its contagion. The crowd's gone, and only a few people discover the empty tomb. I've embraced the empty sanctuary this Easter. When it became clear to me that our sanctuary would be empty on Easter and that our worship service would be online, I knew immediately which resurrection text I would choose for the sermon. It was not going to be what I planned. It was not going to be from Matthew's gospel With Jesus with his disciples on top of the mountain, telling them to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It would not be from Luke's gospel, which tells of Jesus being with the disciples in Jerusalem. It would not be from John's gospel, which ends with Jesus being on the beach with his disciples, cooking them breakfast with those three gospels. What you have is Jesus with his church, if you will. The church is gathered together on Easter with the risen Christ. I knew that I would preach on the end of Mark's gospel, the original end of Mark's gospel. Just as the early church tacked on an ending to the Lord's prayer that was not originally there, so did the early church tack on an ending to Mark's gospel to make it consistent with all the other gospels. They added verses 9 through 20 of chapter 26 that has a story of Jesus meeting up with the disciples after all. But I am preaching on Mark's original ending. You heard me read it to you. Three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, show bravery in bringing spices to Jesus' tomb so that his abused body might be properly buried. I say they were brave, they are brave because they're not in denial. They've accepted that Jesus has died and they want to proactively do something to deal with their grief. They want to treat his body with respect to reflect their love of him and their loss. Now the tomb is a cave, perhaps carved out, And as they approach it, they wonder who will roll away the stone from its mouth. But instead, they find the tomb open. More than open, they find it empty. At least as far as you would talk about a grave being empty because there is no corpse there. There is a young man who is sitting there, a stranger who tells them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Go, tell the disciples he is risen, and he'll meet them in Galilee, just like he promised them. And then how does the gospel of Mark end? The women flee from the tomb and tell no one anything, because they're terrified. There is no story at the end of Mark's original gospel of the church gathering with Jesus, touching the wounds in his side and in his hands, hearing his instructions about what they are to do in the world. No, this gospel ends with a stranger's announcement of good news echoing in an empty cave because the ones he was speaking to flee in terror. Mark's gospel is challenging us. Mark's gospel ends with the community scattered, not gathered, as if this question needed to be answered. Does the good news of the resurrection depend on the crowd's approval? I have seen, you have seen, how so much of what our culture believes and lives by is due to common consent. Popular approval, the culture's embrace, other people believe in it, you believe in it, being held up. But is faith acceptable only when there's safety in numbers? I think that truth is joyous when affirmed by many. That's glorious. But I also think that truth is precious when affirmed by a few. Here is what I know about so many of you who are watching this worship service online. Right now, you might be like the one or two or few people who encounter Jesus and other resurrection stories of the gospel. Right now, you might be by yourself, like Peter is when the risen Jesus speaks just to him. Or there might be two of you, partners in life, just as there are two who are walking on the road to Emmaus when Jesus joins them, unrecognized, talks to them about scripture, has it open up to them, then joins them for dinner, and they're at dinner. He's finally revealed to them. Or there might be a group of you, like the disciples who saw Jesus in a room or on the mountaintop or on the beach. In all the Gospels, there really are no stories of Jesus and large crowds. There are no stories of him speaking in a crowded temple or at a sunrise service before a huge crowd with people in the back asking, what what did he just say? This first Easter, Jesus is just with one person or with two people or at other times with gatherings of disciples who barely exceed the maximum of ten at a public assembly. But though they may not be with many others, they are with Jesus, the risen Jesus, who tells them then to find others. Now, was that the only Easter in which that was true? Well, Jump ahead to the people who first hear the gospel of Mark read to them. The Christians of the first century live in a world of Roman power and Greek culture. They don't even have scripture to hold them up. Remember, Mark's gospel is the first gospel written. The crowds are not with them. The culture has not embraced them. They do not gather to worship in large church buildings. I mean, sometimes it's just too dangerous to get together. Better to be safe and meet in small groups, most often in homes. But the gospel is told to them as the gospel of Mark is read to them. They sense Jesus among them. And they embrace and they live by this good news of a final victory over sin and death. And those early Christians not only survive, they live in Christ. And they eventually thrive in Christ. Their faith, their hope ends up being quite contagious in a world wanting faith and hope. Or jump to today. I mean, here we are in the middle of a pandemic with its imposed isolation. We've worried about the spread of COVID-19, wondering how many more will be infected, how many more lives it will take. It's real. And we know that there will be other impacts. Jobs are being lost. Families are going to be stressed. There will be challenges that we all have to face and sacrifices that we're all going to have to make. We don't deny this reality. It's there. But I want to ask you, with the stone rolled away from this thing, is God contained in that? A voice is asking, why are you looking for God in this grave? Why are you looking in a grave for something that will have lasting power over how you feel about yourself and how you see the world and how you see the future? Why are you trusting this propaganda of death to dampen your spirits and rob your joy? You won't find Jesus here trapped in this grave. You won't find Jesus trapped in the statistics of the spread of this disease. I mean, the two Marys and Siloam are right to be cautious, But they do not have to be reactive and remain afraid. Keep the grave over here. Be proactive. Go out into the places, even if you can't physically do so, but go to those places where you live and find Jesus because the risen Jesus is out there in Galilee, in Roanoke, in your home. Yes, even in the midst of this pandemic, go Find out how the good news that Jesus is risen is true. Well, how? I mean, if Jesus is on the loose, where do we find him? Where are the signs that he is risen? Well, we have one guide. Those who have been worshiping with us through Lent have been working right through that guide. The Easter affirmation of eternal truth at the end of the Lord's prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, invites us to go back over what it is that we have prayed for and look and find those places where that prayer is answered. Remembering God in heaven whose name which is love is to be honored, find the places where love, not hatred, is shown. God's kingdom is to come. Find the places where God's kingdom is revealed on earth, where kindness, compassion, justice, and mercy are made known. Bread for today, we prayed for it. Well, find where bread is being given for today, given to the hungry, where financial assistance is offered to those who can't pay their bills, where masks are found for caregivers, ventilators are found for the sick, so they can have daily breath, where daily calls are made to the lonely and the isolated. We pray to be forgiven. We pray to forgive. Well, find those places where grace and forgiveness are at work, where families are growing closer together in this unexpected time together, where rivals are working together so that the common good can be achieved. Find those places. Spare me temptation, we prayed. We'll find where people are resisting the temptation to hoard and instead sharing with each other, resisting the temptation to find solace in blaming and instead finding purpose in joining solutions, resisting the temptation to act out of selfish desires and instead showing selfless acts of graciousness. Because you know, when people who can't visit Instead, call others and send cards. When employers do what they can for their workers until this time is past, when neighbors are willing to check on their neighbors, when cities share their resources with cities in greater need, when countries reach out to help each other because it's clear for a moment that this is the kind of thing that we're going to get through only together, you found them. The risen Jesus is out in the world and can be found wherever there is commitment to each other in this time of separation, where there is an affirmation of life in the face of death, of love in the face of hate, and hope for the future, even within the anxious present. We're going to get through this. Yes, I'm talking about the pandemic, but I'm also talking about life. We're going to get through life. The question is not if we are to live and if we are to die, but how we live, despite the fact that we will one day die. We don't have to survive what it is that we're going through any more than the early church had to only survive. We can do what they did. We can live with faith, with hope, with love, As a people who expect Jesus to be found, wherever bread is shared, forgiveness is offered, and heaven's work of justice and compassion is done. Jesus is risen. Let's find him. Let's join him. Let's live.
0: Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.